You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Church, let's gather together and pray. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And Father, that's why we're here today. We're here to remember the death of Jesus Christ, to come to the cross and remember his suffering, his sacrifice on our behalf. Our prayer today, Father, is that those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for us would know that we are blessed and that those who have not yet placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ would know that even today, by grace, through faith, they can be blessed with forgiveness of their sins. Help us all, Father, to come to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, I wish, I wish, I wish we could be here together, physically present together in this auditorium, and I'm longing for that to happen one day, and I know that you're longing for that to happen one day, but today, this Good Friday, we're gathering in our homes, around our TVs, in our living rooms, in front of our computer screens, our phones, our tablets, But we're all here to do the same thing, to remember the death of Jesus Christ. And in a few minutes, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together and remember Jesus' body and Jesus' blood and remember the sacrifice that he paid for us. You know, we live in very uncertain times. And I know that when, we, when you're alive during days that are full of uncertainty, it's really important to refocus your mind and your heart on the certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are united virtually today to remember this rock-solid, unchanging truth that only the Son of God could take on our sin bear our judgment, and become our salvation. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 33 through 39. We're going to be looking at this passage of Scripture today. We're going to walk through that and see that only the Son of God could take on our sin and bear our judgment and become our salvation. Let me read it for you today. Mark 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come up and and to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now when we read this passage of Scripture, we realize that Jesus indeed was the one who took on our sin. We see that as our first point. He took on our sin. Look at verse 33 of Mark chapter 15. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It says there was darkness over the whole land. This isn't just a physical reference to the sky getting dark or an eclipse or dark clouds in the sky. This isn't a weather forecast. That's not what's going on here. You see, every detail in the account of the crucifixion has spiritual significance and spiritual implications. Matthew in his gospel will tell us that when Jesus died, the earth quaked, the rocks split, the tombs opened. And add to that this, that the sky, it grew dark. This isn't like, wow, that's interesting. No, the darkness in the sky reflects a spiritual reality that's going on. The death of Jesus Christ is the point in time in human history where everything changes. That's why the sky grew dark in Jerusalem from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When it was supposed to be the brightest, it was the darkest. Why? Because Jesus was taking on our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Creation itself is reflecting the spiritual reality of the moment. Darkness has come over the land. Jesus Christ takes on our sin. And he also, second point, bears our judgment. Look at verse 34. And at the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now Jesus isn't really asking a question. Like he's not putting his hand up and saying to God, God, why, why have you forsaken me? No, this is a cry of anguish. This is a cry of agony. Jesus Christ is feeling abandoned. He's feeling anguish in his heart. God's wrath towards sin is being poured out on Jesus in this moment. Jesus Christ is feeling the weight of all of our sins and the judgment of God for those sins. But why? Because the holiness of God demands a payment for sin. All through the Old Testament, we're reminded again and again through the sacrificial system that the grace was found in the sacrifice. Sin demands a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, right now, in this moment, is becoming the once and for all perfect atoning sacrifice. No one No one else will ever feel the anguish that Jesus felt 
in this moment. You and I feel anguish at times. We feel agony at times. I have lost a loved one before, and I remember the anguish and the agony, the feeling of pain that was in my heart when that happened. I remember, I know there have been times in my life when I've been hurt by other people, and I've cried out to God and said, God, what in the world is going on? Lamenting towards him. I have experienced those kinds of things. I know what it's like to have an uncertain future and feel the agony and the pain and the anguish in my heart in moments like that. I know all of you feel those, have felt those same things. But all of that anguish that we have felt in life is nothing in comparison to what Jesus Christ felt. Jesus is experiencing the wrath and judgment of God in him because he became sin for us who knew no sin. Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <coughs> That's awesome that Jesus Christ would do that for us. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, those words from Romans chapter 4 are so true in verses 7 and 8 when he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All because of Jesus. All because he bore our judgment. <clears throat> not only that, but it says here in verses 35 and 36 that he was also, even as he's feeling his abandonment from his, from his heavenly father, he is feeling in the, the mocking of people. You see what it says in verse 35? It says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. This isn't the first time this happened while Jesus is on the cross. If you go back to verse 32, it talks about how they mocked him about being Christ, the King of Israel. Will he come down now from the cross that we may see and believe, they said? He bore our judgment. He was mocked by those, those others. And, and look at verse 37 and 38. He became our salvation. It says, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. He uttered a loud cry. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus said. Luke says in Luke chapter 23, verse 44, that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John, in his gospel, in chapter 19, verse 30, says, that Jesus cried out these three poignant remembering words. It is finished. Then he breathed his last. And that's when everything changed. Matthew says, 
the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened. And in the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I mean, what, what is this curtain? It's the inner veil of the temple. It was about 60 feet high. It was a curtain that separated off the Holy of Holies from everything else in the temple. The primary function of this curtain was separation. It was a physical separation that enforced and represented separation from the holy presence of God. No one was able to go through the curtain except once a year. The high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, would take a sacrifice and go through the curtain, through the veil, and offer a sacrifice for the Lord for the sins of the nation of Israel. If it would happen at any other time, it would be automatically, they would die. The curtain represented the truth that access to God was strictly prohibited because of his holiness. God's holiness hasn't changed. The truth remains today that God is still holy, holy, holy. Equally as true as this, we are not. We are not holy. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That hasn't changed. What has changed? This is what's changed. Jesus' death on the cross became the one and final atonement sacrifice. What the sacrifice of bulls and goats could not do, Jesus' death has done. What good works cannot do, Jesus' sacrificial death has done. What you cannot do, Jesus has done. And through faith, Jesus' sacrificial substitutionary death is the means by which believers now have access to the presence of God. The curtain, the 60-foot high curtain was torn in two. And oh, by the way, Mark says, from what? From top to bottom. God tore it from top to bottom. In Christ and through Christ, we now have full access to the presence of God. Jesus is our salvation. So how do we respond to this? I mean, he became, he took on our sin. He bore our judgment. He has become our salvation, how do we respond to this? Well, we respond the same way that the centurion did in this story in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. Do you see the response of the centurion? It's our response too. Listen to it as I read. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. He says, truly, this man was the son of God. What was it that made the centurion come to this conclusion? Well, it says right there in verse 39, 
he saw that in this way he breathed his last. You see, the centurion had seen it all. That, along with the battalion of soldiers that were with him, they had been assigned to Jesus. They were overseeing the death of Jesus. The centurion saw everything. He and his battalion were probably the ones who drove the nails through Jesus' hands and his feet. They were probably the ones who propped him up on the cross. He was there. He experienced the darkness, the unusual darkness in the sky over Jerusalem that day. He heard the conversation between Jesus and the two thieves. He heard everyone mocking Jesus. He was there when Jesus spoke to John and to Mary. He heard all of Jesus' final words. It says he stood facing him. He had seen it all happen. And it's all of this in this way and the last breath of Jesus Christ that moved him to say, truly this man was the Son of God. He sees the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and it moves him to proclaim, truly, he was the Son of God. You see, Jesus' humility reveals his royalty. And this is our response today. Our response is the exact same response that the centurion had to conclude that Jesus is the Son of God, to place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and the saving work of Jesus Christ, to know that he took on our sin. He bore our judgment. He is our salvation. But who is this Son of God? Well, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who is the Son of God? He's the second person of the Trinity. He is the eternal God. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who sustains the world. He's the one that holds all the stars in place. This is the one whom the centurion saw. He humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 reminds us and it says, And being found in human, human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The author of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he was the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You see, it was Jesus' humility that revealed his royalty. Only the Son of God could have taken on our sin. He, only the Son of God could have bore our judgment. Only the Son of God could become our salvation. And I am convinced of this, that there's someone who is watching today who does not know God personally. You need God. And here's the good news. 
By the grace of God and through faith, you can know that Jesus, the Son of God, took on your sin. He bore your judgment on the cross. And he is your salvation. Even right now, the Holy Spirit is probably convicting you of your sin. You need to cry out to God. Place your faith in what Jesus Christ alone can do for you. What he has alone done for you on the cross. Repent of your sin and experience forgiveness. Your sins being covered. I plead with you. Jesus Christ did this for you. For those of us who do know God personally, who have placed our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and the saving work of Jesus Christ, can you not just know, like I know this morning, my heart is so full of this. I am so blessed. We are so blessed. And I want to invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper as we remember the death of Jesus and his body and his blood. Before we participate together in the Lord's Supper, I want us to remember three really important things. First of all, it's this, that the Lord's Supper, communion, is, is a time of remembrance for believers. Only those who have placed their faith in the saving work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's, this is what the Lord's Supper is for us. Communion doesn't save anyone. It's a reminder of our salvation. And so those who have placed their faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they are the ones who should be partaking in this beautiful, beautiful remembrance. If you haven't placed your faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, please don't participate. But do as one of my friends did a number of years ago. Just sit and listen and observe as we eat and as we drink just observe that and consider the saving work of Jesus Christ. And maybe even in that moment, that will be your time to give your life over to Jesus Christ. So remember, this is a time of remembrance for believers. Remember, this, these are also exceptional times. Our preference is to be, would be to be physically present with one another and to take communion together to remember the death of Jesus Christ, but these are not normal days. These are not normal times. And we are gathered together virtually. We believe the Spirit of God is with us as we participate. And just remember, these are exceptional times as we do this. And then remember this. This is a sacred moment. Jesus asks us to remember his death until he comes again. The Apostle Paul warns us very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to not eat or drink in an unworthy manner. We don't want to take, none of us should take communion lightly. We should take it carefully and with great reverence. We should be examining ourselves, our hearts right now. And if there's something in your life that would cause you to eat or drink in an unworthy manner, don't take communion. Actually, use the time right now to repent of your sin. And get right with the Lord. And so I want to take this time. We're just going to prepare ourselves for communion. I'm going to lead in prayer in just a, a moment. We're going to sing a hymn 
of remembrance together, and then I'm going to come back and lead us together in communion as we remember the body of Christ, as we take a piece of bread and a cracker, and we'll eat that in a few minutes, as we take the cup of juice in our hands, and we get reminded to drink that as it reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. Parents, I just want to encourage you right now that this might be a good time for you to press pause and just spend a few minutes explaining communion to your children, just the beauty of salvation to them. So let's pray together. Father, we know this truth. Jesus took on our sin. He bore our judgment. Praise God, he's our salvation. We are so blessed. Our sins are forgiven. We are declared righteous before the God of this universe because of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, please, Spirit of God, let this truth sink into our minds and our hearts. Please, Father, please, as we remember and we receive As we remember, please, Father, just receive our remembrance as a worship to you. Your love is so deep. Help us. Help us to comprehend, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Thank you for the body of Jesus that hung on the cross for our sins, that sacrifice for us. Thank you for the blood that he shed for our sin. We give you all the praise, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.